Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. You can also listen to episodes on our church YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And on today's broadcast of Hope Talks, we will have part one of a two-part panel discussion on the topic of mental health. And my co-host, Pastor Margaret Michael, will be one of the panelists. And also our moderator will be Dr. Brian Charette. And the other two panelists who will introduce themselves on the broadcast will be Ashley Link and Mark Sensabaugh. So we pray that today's discussion on mental health will be a half hour of hope for your life. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Pastor Margaret, and I'm excited today. It's a little bit different of a day for us. We have a few people with us today, and I'm going to introduce Brian Charette to you. And Brian is going to introduce the folks and the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, We are in an unprecedented time, literally an unprecedented time in our history. The American Medical Association recently concluded that the pandemic has triggered a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide, and no single event has ever had that effect. Uh, One researcher wrote that we are in a tsunami of psychiatric illness, which floors me. Another route that, you know, with all the time that people have had at home during the pandemic, you'd think that burnout wouldn't be a problem. You'd think people would be rested and refreshed. And here we are on the other side of the pandemic, and burnout is rampant. There's a, a, a new dynamic called quitting in place where people are at the job but they're just not really working anymore because they're so burned out and in the middle of that those of us who are believers we're not immune to it we're we're not finding that we are somehow prevented from the same kinds of mental health challenges that unbelievers are uh, and and among all that we read a bible that calls for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we have a Bible that tells us many times not to fear. Um, one of my favorite texts is 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says we're not given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, sound mind. That sound mind there is sophrisimos in the Greek, and it really means a different kind of knowledge, a, a knowledge of peace. And so today, as you tune in, we're going to focus on mental health and the believer, knowing that even with the pandemic, for the most part, behind us, we're left with the ravages of fear, anxiety, worry, um, and it's not going away. And so what we hope to do in this time together is I have three experts with me. We hope to share some things about how to deal with mental health issues as a believer. So I have three panelists. You've already met one. I'm going to have them each introduce themselves, give us your name, family, a little background, and then a little bit about your experience in the mental health field. What brings you to the table uh, at this time? So, Margaret, since you already went, can we start with you? So name, family, 
brief background and your expertise in mental health issues. Um, well, my name is Margaret. Um, I am on staff here at the Church of Nazarene as an outreach pastor. I have a growing family. Um, I have my husband and I have been married about 32 years. Wow. Yeah, it's a few years. And uh, we have two daughters. Uh, one is Sydney is married to Adam. And they have two children. And um, Olivia's on staff here as a pastor. And what brings me to the table um, today is I care deeply about people um, as a pastor and just in working with folks um, through the church, through Celebrate Recovery. We have a 12-step program here at the church, and we are faced with folks coming in that are broken. And I'm always, I don't feel as, as much on the expert side as uh, really gleaning um, today, um, looking for um, answers for those that have been schooled in these things in ways that I haven't. But care deeply about the folks that are affected and, and how the church can better engage those that are struggling. Thanks, Margaret. Ashley? Sure. I am Ashley Link. Um, I'm married to my husband, Jared, for eight years, and we have an almost three-year-old, um, Eliza, um, born and raised in the Shenandoah Valley, and except for the two years, I went to grad school in Morgantown, West Virginia, um, but I've lived here in the Valley my entire life. Um, I have been a school social worker um, for 11, going on 12 years now, um, and so work with children and families across three different elementary schools and a middle school and just see the impact of mental health and how it can determine a lot for a, a student and how they're able to function in a school setting. And so part of um, what I'm passionate about is helping families navigate that process and to seek help and support so that way um, students can be the best version of themselves. Thanks. Mark. My name is Mark Sensabaugh. I've been married to my wife, Beverly, for 42 years. We have two adult daughters, one living with us here in uh, the Bridgewater area, one living on the West Coast in the Seattle area. And with that daughter are three grandsons and a son-in-law. Um, by vocation, I'm a licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I work with a Christian counseling group here in the Harrisonburg area called Journey Counseling Ministries. So I'm continually meeting with adults and marital couples that are dealing with all kinds of um, challenges in life, relational challenges, but the common cold in the counseling profession would be anxiety and depression, which would be very common. It's not a respecter of persons and affects all of us. Let's talk about broadly what we hope to happen for those of you who are listening is that you'll hear something today that will help you that will help you get a handle on issues you've been dealing with or issues those you love are dealing with. So let's start broadly, uh, and Mark, I'll start with you. From a biblical standpoint, our minds are discussed often. You know, Romans 12, 1, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're told we have the mind of Christ. So we know that the mind is a central place in terms of the Lord, so from your perspective, what is the mind, and then what actually is mental health? What is the mind? Um, 
I, as I study scripture, I think actually the mind and the heart at times can be used interchangeably. Like when it talks about being double-minded um, can also reflect being double-hearted. The scriptures talk about us having divided hearts. Um, so when I think of defining mental health, I think of it being a positive state of mind and body. Uh, it involves uh, feelings of safety, emotional safety, uh, able to operate with uh, synchronized hearts. So those parts of our heart that could be divided being in sync, in sync with each other. So maybe emotion with our intellect. Maybe there's a guardian part of our heart that decides who gets center stage at times. So there's congruence or connection or synchrony between those parts, but also a synchronizing of those parts with our ability to connect well with others and even our ability to connect well with God. Ashley, what is the mind and what is mental health? Um, me, I think of like simplicity of like the mind is like where my thoughts, my feelings, and my emotions all come into play. And depending on what state of safety that I feel um, or just in the atmosphere that I'm at depends on how I respond in those situations. So if I feel at ease, then I'm going to respond with positive thoughts and emotions or feelings. If I'm stressed, then we always talk about like your lid being flipped. And so I'm, I'm going to act out of fear and um, concern for what's around me. And so we think about like flight, fight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's all, that is all intertwined. And certainly like when I think like from a biblical standpoint, it's what do we do with those thoughts, feelings, and emotions? Like certainly those thoughts are going to come in, but do we take those thoughts captive? And what do we do with them? How do we respond with them? Um, certainly mental health, I, I agree with Mark, like it's, it's a state of being, like there's multiple parts in that and having either a, a stable mental health or being unstable in our mental health. And so how do we cultivate that mental health to feel safe and secure and positive about ourselves and the world in which we live in? Thanks. Margaret, mental health? Yeah, so as I think about the scripture, that our mind is, um, and it was, I was sitting here thinking about me before Christ. And my mind um, really was the thing that guided me, right? Like it was, I was in my, my own head with my own thoughts and my own responses, which were not always great. Um, and when I became a believer, and realize that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and gives us a new mind and gives us new thoughts, and we can ask for things that we don't have, uh, right? But we still, as believers, are in this world that we live in faced with so many things that are things that may make us at times go to our mind instead of to what, um, as Ashley was speaking about, like when these thoughts and emotions come into us and we respond, that there's, it's a really deep question, but there's us and then there's the mind of Christ in us. And 
there's where, um, as believers, we have something that, as I sit here and remember, I did not have um, as a young girl that was going through a lot of things and certainly um, had some deep struggles during those times. I mean, I'm Brian. I'm here with Mark Sensible, Ashley Lincoln, Margaret Michael. We're talking about mental health and the believer. So, Ashley, uh, I cited some statistics at the beginning. Another one uh, that I read recently was that, and this floors me, but 50% of people who consider themselves evangelical Christians, and they, that they usually in surveys they ask you if you're evangelical or born again, 50% of them, half of people in this survey, who characterize themselves as evangelical Christians, say that they have a level of fear and anxiety that affects their daily life. So let me ask you two questions, and I'll I'll have Mark follow it. One, do you believe that mental health is really more prevalent than it's ever been, um, and why? Or do we just know more about it, so we're hearing more about it? So do you believe the statistics Or do you think maybe we're just studying mental health more and it's really no more prevalent than it's ever been? I think it's a combination. I definitely think that it's always been, you know, it's not something new. It's not something novel. Like it's always been in existence. But I think that in the last several years, like people are more willing to talk about it and to say, hey, I struggle with this versus, you know, kind of hiding it and maybe living with it in secret because they were afraid of what others may think of them if they found out. Um, I definitely think that through the pandemic years and just that sense of isolation that it definitely brought up a lot more of those emotions in people. Um, I think we were, well, I know we were, we were forced to isolate for so long and we were not created to live in isolation. Um, I think even just our message, you know, through church about we were created to be fellow, to fellowship with one another and to have unity with one another And we weren't able to do that for so long that I think that that had us, you know, my my husband said that he kind of joked, and it's true, like as an introvert, he was loving it, right? Because he didn't have to interact with other people as much. But that's not what we were created for. And so at the heart of it, we were not meant, ever meant to live in such isolation from each other. And so I think these years have just kind of precipitated that. But thankfully, like through it all too, I feel like, it has given people the opportunity to say, hey, I struggle with, and you name that, you know, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, and it's just brought about more conversation, and so people are able to engage and ha- and talk about it, and so I think that releases a lot of it, too, because you're not shouldering this burden of a secret that you have, but if you're vulnerable enough to share it with someone that you feel safe to, to just be able to say, hey, I'm not alone. And I think that's really important and, and something that I'm grateful that we've kind of moved in this direction right. over the last couple of years. Thanks. Mark, you believe the statistics or, or do we just know more about mental health now? I would say yes and yes. I would say, yeah, I think the statistics are true. People that already struggle with depression or anxiety at certain levels uh, with what we've gone through as a culture, it's almost amplified and created one more obstacle to add to. But I've also seen quite a lot of people that would have a history of not having struggled so much with anxiety or depression that have actually experienced more discomfort, um, more um, anxiety over the circumstances. I think something that Ashley said, I'd 
really like to punctuate is this whole idea of in counseling we would use the term attachment and attachment has to do with the security we feel in our bonds with others so especially our most significant relationships parent to child uh, husband to wife so with attachment two questions are really important one question is if i'm feeling emotional pain and you're my significant other Will you be available and will it matter to you that I feel that discomfort or pain? In other words, will you be responsive? And when Ashley was just highlighting what we've gone through with the pandemic is a lot of isolation. And because we weren't designed to go it alone, um, our sense of security that's centered in our healthy connection with another our healthy connection with God, believing they will be available to us and it will matter to them. They'll be responsive to our pain, that it tests that sense of security in our attachments. So it's kind of brought to the forefront um, how secure we feel in those bonds. And if those bonds are removed or we're isolated from that, um, our even as early childhood development, our anxiety um, and ability to be calmed or soothed will be escalated and more difficult without those attachment figures around us. And I think this pandemic has made us more vulnerable in that way. Margaret, I cited the Second Timothy text earlier. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, sound mind. I'm thinking of the person listening and asking the question, I don't even know what a sound mind is. I doubt I have a sound mind, but I don't know what one is in the first place. How would you describe a sound mind? Well, I think that um, it is a mind that is, as the scripture says, that is not filled with fear and anxiety. It's a, a to me, it would it seems that there's some uh, foundation there in that setting um, because it's a place of um, not going into those places of fear, but it's focused on Christ. Now, I say that, and as we look at... um, what's happening in the church today there's a lot of anxiety right and fear and you were talking about earlier about the mental health like what is that and I just remember early in my Christian walk hearing a Christian comedian and she struggled with depression Um, and I remember her being really frustrated because someone told her she didn't have enough faith right and that's why she struggled and she said I wanted to tell the lady to take off her glasses and drive home because she wasn't supposed to take medication, right? And um, and I think about that. We have, there is this spiritual darkness. There is a lot that's happening. There's warfare. There's things that come at us as believers and even maybe more so as believers. Um, there is this rise of anxiety and fear. So, yeah, I I really believe that that sound mind is having that foundation and not saying that there's no medication. Like, 
I take medication. Like there's there's things that we can do that maybe at one time in the church was looked at as a little bit of maybe this isn't you don't have enough faith if you're struggling with these things. So I don't want to say today that um, if you're focused on Christ, you're not going to have any anxiety. I'm not saying that. With Christ and the help of great folks like is across the table today, um, I believe there's hope um, for these things that we struggle with. Mark, as believers, we know the ending is happy. When we are in Christ and walking in him, We know that he's going to come. We know that we're going to be in heaven. We know that this world is just a little dot on the eternal timeline, and nothing that happens here is really that big a deal, and heaven is our home, and we're not at home now. So we know the end is happy, those of us in Christ. How does fear get in then? How does knowing we're secure in Christ, he loves us more than we could imagine, why aren't we... And I. I'll ask for myself, why am I not steadfast in joy and trust? Where does fear and anxiety come from when you know better, when I know better? Where does it come from in me? I won't blame the listeners. I love the question, Brian, because it kind of makes an assumption that if we have knowledge of truth, that it will give us the power to respond appropriately. And I would suggest to you, as they've actually researched our brains, they say we might divide our brain that the right prefrontal cortex is the experiential brain. So what I know about life by experience. Let's imagine the left prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that knows things logically. They actually say when we are in a state of alarm, relational receptors in the brain or circuits in the brain turn off. Uh, The experiential brain, which might be the anxious brain, the right prefrontal cortex is center stage. And until you're able to soothe or calm, those relational circuits in the brain don't cut back on. And what those relational circuits do, they help us connect well with others and they help us connect well with God. So, You know, the assumption in the question is, well, shouldn't the left prefrontal cortex, that reasoning side of the brain, override the experiential anxious brain? And the truth is, is, as they've researched our brain, that does not happen until we're able to experientially know our way back to calm. Um, And so our brain, the way it's wired, as believers, we do have an advantage in that when we worship, our spirit can actually engage with God. So there's certain songs that you sing that when you sing them, something inside feels like it engages. They're not just words or they're not just verses in a song. And when we're in our anxious brain, worship is actually located in that experiential side of the brain. So being able to worship with a song that holds meaning for us can actually bring us back to relational calm in a way that then we're we're then able to access the reasoning side of the brain where we have our knowledge of Scripture. Um, And relational uh, circuits in the brain turn on when we're in that place of calm, 
making our capacity to connect with God, our capacity to connect with others greater. So that whole thing of when we're in our anxious brain as believers, though we have head knowledge or logic knowledge of truth, we almost have to experience uh, engaging that anxious brain to be able to find our way back to calm. And worship is one of those ways. Another way that we do that is when we actually experience gratitude relationally with God, if you were to sit down and write a letter of gratitude to God for this, my partner, my my spouse, or my experience of coming to Christ, or something that's happened in my world, when I write an experiential expression, not just a tick list of gratitudes, but a letter to God giving thanks for something. When that's written uh, in my calm brain and my logic and my experiential, when I'm writing that from a place of calm, actually being able to reread that experience that was written in my calm relational brain can actually, rereading that, can have the capacity of calming the anxious brain. So there are ways that we can actually learn how to get back to that place of calm where relational receptors turn on. But to assume just because I know truth, it will override that experiential brain. That's not really how the brain is wired. Thanks. So uh, what you're saying is we we are not powerless when we are overcome by anxiety, fear, depression, there's no magic fix, but it's not like we have to passively endure it. There are things we can do. Yeah. Ashley, I want to ask you about young people. Um, another startling fact I read was young people today are so overwhelmed with mental illness, anxiety, depression, that the average young person in 2020 would have been committed to an institution if they were alive in 1956, which I get goosebumps thinking about it because I just, I, I have daughters and I grieve for our future. How, how do we stop that? How, what's your experience with fear and anxiety in young people? And what are you as a parent doing to say, this is not going to happen for my child. This is not going to happen on my watch. How should we be talking to young people about this issue? I think it so goes back to that power of connection. So oftentimes when we're having conversations, even in a school setting with families and parents and their child is having um, difficulties with their mental health at that time, we talk about who's your person, right? And that can be hopefully someone in school, and I just need one. And or who is your person outside of school? Who is that person that you can go to? Who do you have a connection with? You know, is it the art teacher? Is it the band teacher? Like, who is that? And we find ways to connect them during the day just as a check-in of, hey, how are you today? Right, because I think it's so important that they know, especially at that young age, that somebody cares and I can connect with someone. Um, it concerns me most when kids will say, I don't have anyone. Right. Why is that? Like, is that true? Is that them just trying to do it alone um, and not say, hey, I need some help? Like, what what is the reason for that? But that is trying to find that connection is huge. I think, too, that social media plays a big part in just this culture of who can I look like? Right. What is the front that I can put on 
and it's so easy to just post a picture. And I always enjoy the ones that are like, here's um, social media versus here's real life, yeah. right? Yeah. Because they're so completely different. Yes. Um, and they're which one's edited and which one's not. And so how do we, social media can be used in wonderful ways, but how do we use that? How do we harness that tool to help support children and families? I think it would be really naive of me to sit here as a parent of an almost three-year-old and say she's never going to experience this, right? Um, What I can say is what I have learned through my own experiences of battling anxiety at times is how can I help her develop coping skills and what are tools that I can give her? How do I create a safe environment for her in the home that she will know that she can come and talk to me or my husband um, or her aunts or someone like that, or her cousins, if she's ever experiencing that. Because I think there's power in being able to share your feelings, to know that that person is, that you trust is going to, to keep them safe, but to also help support you through that time. Um, and so I, I hope when I listen back to this, you know, 10 years from now <laughs> and have a teenager, um, to be able to say, how have I cultivated a place of safety for her that she knows that no matter what, like we can have hard conversations and even for myself to be vulnerable enough to share where I've struggled in the past. Cause I feel like when you can relate it to your own experiences, then it makes you feel less alone. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of hope talks. We pray that uh, part one of our discussion on mental health has been a half hour of hope for your life. We also hope that you will join us next Sunday at noon right here on 1470 AM and 102.1 FM WBTX for part two of our discussion. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hope Talks. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe for all the updates and latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg or Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.